Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 64 of the Our Weekly Highlights podcast. My name is Eric Nance, and it's been a busy time for a lot of us, but we're so happy you took a few minutes to listen to our weekly update of some of the great stories that we've curated in the current issue of Our Weekly. And we are joined, as always, by my co-host, Mike Thomas. So, Mike, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Probably having a less busy week than you are. For those that don't know, the R Pharma Conference is going on this week, and Eric is highly involved in that. He's even speaking at a panel discussion, I think, at, at around 10 o'clock Eastern on Thursday. So be sure to tune in to R Pharma if you haven't yet. Thank you for that. Yes, um, it, 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 it's definitely a, a committee doing a lot of things, but... Um, I'll certainly share some stories on some of the fun stuff I spun up for this conference uh, when when that's rolled out. So, yes, I am fresh off of that. I've learned a lot of cool information that I'm sure I'll be hopefully imparting on in my other endeavors. But let's uh, dive right into it. We are on issue 64, and this week's issue has been curated by the founder of our weekly, Wolfram Chin. He rarely grabs a spotlight, but as always, I like to say big thanks to Wolfram for everything he does with the infrastructure and the organization of our weekly. We obviously would not be here without him. So if you ever have a chance to talk to him on Slack or any other places where he frequents, just say hi and thank you to him. He, he definitely deserves it. And as always, we have great help from the R weekly team members and contributors. So let's dive right into it. I always live by the mantra of learning by doing when trying out maybe a new data science analysis technique or statistical technique to me. And it's always more motivating to me when I can find data sets that mirror my interest. Well, in the very broad world of text analysis, we have many data sets corresponding to say classical literature or books that exist. And they're often used as examples in leading textbooks, such as Julia Silge's Text Mining with R, which I have read a little bit and I would love to dive into it more when I get time. Well, keeping up with a small trend that we've seen in recent R and Weekly highlights, the realm of television is also a ripe for the picking for generating insights using text, or in this case, spoken dialogue, from the shows themselves as input data to a lot of the text mining and text modeling analyses. And that's where Daniello De Rosa took a similar approach as what I've been talking about when he discovered a new R package called Shruti that contained all spoken dialogue of the wildly popular TV sitcom, The Office. And what's interesting, Mike, is apparently you know a bit about this package from some connections. So tell us more. I do, but I have to ask first, Eric, last week you told us that you don't have a Netflix account. Are you going to tell us this week that you haven't seen The Office yet? I am a bit more hip than that. I have actually seen The Office, so I'm I'm somewhat up to date on this one, thankfully. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Neither one of us had seen Squid Game, so I'm glad we've both seen The Office for this week. So yeah, the the author of the Shroot Package is Brad Lindblad, and he's one of my really good friends. Um, and a phenomenal data scientist out of North Dakota who works in agricultural finance, which is my previous domain. And it's a a play on one of the supporting characters, uh, Dwight Schrute, his last name. Um, That's that's where the package gets its name from. And 
this is the package that, that gets used. Um, it contains the data, the dialogue uh, for the analysis that Danilo did. And just as kind of a side note, you know, Brad, the author of the package, has also authored a Python package called ShrootPy, which is the same port of the R package. And he's a Julia fan, so he's authored Shroot.jl. Um, and those two accomplished the same thing just in those other two languages, Python and R. So it might be interesting for R package authors to look at how to build a Python Julia package, you know, and compare the similarities and differences in package de development using Brad's work, since this is a fairly lightweight package. I don't think there's a lot of functions besides just retrieving the data containing that's, the dialogue. That's interesting, Mike. I have not seen many situations where we have all three for a, a similar backend. That, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it's very, very cool. You should check out his GitHub and you can see the different... Uh, the different ports of this same package into the different languages, you know, and I think we've seen a, a lot of portability of important packages from language to language. And I don't see that stopping anytime soon, right? There's the, the Shweba packet, Python package, which is like a port of dplyr. And I know a lot of the important Python packages have been ported over to, to R as well. So I think it, it speaks to the, the power of um, the open source and us to be able to take concepts developed in one language and utilize them in a different language to make it easy for whatever the, the partic particular data scientist strength is from a programming language standpoint. Absolutely. Yeah. So the author of this package, Danilo, he, he's a heavy participant in Tidy Tuesday. Um, and as you can see from his blog, which I think we have in the show notes, a lot of his data viz work absolutely blew me away when I started scrolling through his posts. And this blog is is no exception. His first three charts are really neatly faceted line and bar charts with some unique font styling. And the fourth chart showcases a sentiment analysis of each character's overall positive or negative sentiment uh, while they were on the show based upon their aggregated dialogue. You know, and it's represented by this beautiful lollipop chart, which is overlaid on top of a scatter plot. And the theming he adapted uh, from a visualization published by The Pudding, which is also a great data viz publication if you haven't checked out their work before. I don't know. Have yes, you ever seen is. The Pudding, Eric? I, I have. Yeah, I really like their their style. I very like their choices of the aesthetics of each of the plots. So that's a great resource to draw from. Yeah, it was a fantastic viz that he ported from them. So, But I will want to say that my last the last visualization of the blog is my favorite visualization. Agreed. Um, he must have saved the best for last. And he calls it a strip plot, which to me looks like a scatter plot containing just a ton of points. And it's faceted by season of the show. So there's a bunch of different sub scatter plots um, or strip plots, as he calls them. And each point in the chart represents a line of dialogue recited by a character on the show. The x-axis represents time. Um, so if you're, you're on the, the left side of the x-axis, it occurred earlier in the season. And as you move to the right side of the x-axis, you know, that particular line of dialogue was recited later in the season. Um, and the y-axis is just jittered so that we can see more points. And most of the points or, or these lines of dialogue from the show are a dull gray color. But the lines where a character said the phrase, that's what she said are represented by these bright red points. And for those that haven't seen The Office, that's kind of a central joke in the show. Um, and I was shocked to see first that seasons one and eight 
didn't contain a single that's what she said line. Um, so that was interesting takeaway from his plot. One really cool data viz trick that I liked in this plot is that Danilo didn't use a legend to specify the difference between what the gray dots and the red dots represent. He actually did this just through the title and by introducing color in the title. And the title of this viz, which you can see above the plot, is called Every That's What She Said in the Office. And the title text is gray, except for the words, that's what she said, which are in bright red, which creates this subconscious mental mapping to the color of the points in the chart, which are red for where those lines, those particular lines of dialogue occurred. So I didn't even realize that there wasn't a legend, but I didn't even spend a second processing the difference in the color on the chart because the author made it so intuitive. That is a, that's a powerful technique. You don't always have to stick with defaults, so to speak, of layouts. You can, you can harness information in different ways and be able to really um, convey something unique. Obviously, it gets our attention doing it this way. And it even can minimize what you might say is clutter around the graph, you know, really hone in on the key message. So, yeah, I really liked his uh, technique for all the visualizations. But yeah, like you said, I, I think the I think that plot in particular is, is the one that gets the most attention from my standpoint. Yep. Yes, very, very interesting data viz techniques that he employed here, a few that I definitely want to add to my repertoire. And like I said, his uh, link to his portfolio, she's got a nice website with all of his blogs and Tidy Tuesday material is in our show notes. Yeah, I I still, I have a lot of uh, friends in the um, R streaming community who do a lot of Tidy Tuesday stuff. And I just don't have as much time to get into those. But certainly as these data sets come through, it makes me interested to try some of these things out. But that's where I see Honestly, a lot of these tricks I'm learning in ggplot2 are coming from things like this blog post and the Tidy Tuesday submissions. It's just a wealth of, of information, a wealth of examples to draw from. Yes, and the nice part about his blog post was that it had little collapsible uh, arrows in it, um, you know, marked down HTML, that you can click on to show the code above the, the charts. And, and I was blown away to see that it was pretty much just straight ggplot2 for a lot of these charts and it just kind of goes to show the power of how you can can beautify these charts just through all the different theming options within ggplot2 yep it's um it's definitely a world that it it's it's a lot of things are stable in that ecosystem but i think what's changed is the way people in the community are taking it to different levels like when I first started learning ggplot2, you would see the typical color palettes. You would see the typical scatter plots, bar charts, things like that. But now you're just seeing such a variety of the use of aesthetics, the use of color, the use of um, faceting in ways that when you, it, I used to kind of joke when I would see a manuscript, I could pick it out if it was ggplot or not. Like it was very easy to, to spot the default gray background, the, the the default color palette. Definitely. Now with some of these visuals, um, like from this author and from uh, Cedric Schur, I believe, who's done a lot of immense uh, training on ggplot2, you would not know that's ggplot2 by looking at it with the way they're styled. It's, it's really amazing. No, absolutely. And that's why I was shocked when I actually did look at the code. 
uh, underneath that last uh, chart. So very, very cool. Yeah, absolutely. So, yep, we'll we'll have a link to that as well as our last highlight for today, which is covering a very important area in terms of our development and accessibility. Um, so you may have seen if you've been following our on social media via, say, the RStats hashtag or other um, conference talks that there's definitely been a renewed emphasis in certain parts of the R ecosystem on improving accessibility of writing R code and utilizing R packages and utilizing tools to help author R code. And our last highlight today is a very important package in this space with a major update to Braille R, which is actually written by an author who himself has visually impaired so you can know they're motivated to try and make R easy to use in this space. And so Mike, why don't you tell us more about what you found here? Yeah, it's great to see another blog post come across, again, highlighting accessibility, because I think that's incredibly important. And by not making R accessible or any programming language accessible, you're losing out on the contributions from a, a large community that has a lot to add to the R community especially. So it's great to see this. And I noticed, um, I took a, a long look at the, the GitHub for this package, the Braille R package, and the author noted that there were four objectives. Um, the first was to make accessing output simpler. The second was to gain access to the content depicted in a graph, which makes a lot of sense. Third was to make it easier for blind users to create their own R markdown documents which is very interesting. And, and the last was to replace the tasks other users can do quickly using the RStudio IDE. So, you know, I'm sure as folks who aren't visually impaired, like myself, we take for granted a lot of the different things that we can do very quickly within the RStudio IDE that don't necessarily, uh, that aren't necessarily accessible to folks who are, who are visually impaired. Um, I know that at the RStudio Global, conference uh, last year, uh, Ju Young Seo, who was a PhD candidate at Penn State, you know, he demonstrated uh, him writing some R code and it was just really through the R shell. Um, he, he wasn't doing that in R studio, I believe, um, just because R studio, the way it at least previously was, didn't lend itself to uh, accessibility. I think they might have made some improvements since then, but I, I think this is, um, you know, part of the work that the Braille R package is is looking to help out with so he notes that in the github that if you're a sighted person you know there are still ample opportunities for you to help contribute to this package um, he has a wish list in the in the readme of about 18 different issues that he's looking for help on so don't think that you can't help contribute to this package just because you yourself are not visually compared it's actually quite the opposite um, and one interesting thing that he did note was that he, he says he believes that R is one of the most accessible statistical programming languages for the visually impaired community. He didn't name any competitors, um, but I imagine that he, he might be talking about Python or, or Julia and saying that maybe he's tried those and R tends to be a little bit more accessible than those for visually impaired folks. So. You know, again, you know, this post reminded me of some others doing great work in the R community just around accessibility. Um, and I provided a, a link to that talk at R Studio Global by Ji Young. So I, I encourage folks to take a look at that because 
It's some great video about how he is, you actually see video of him writing our code and how he accesses the output of that code through audio rather than visual means. Um, so definitely check out that and maybe perhaps you can think a little bit deeper about how to introduce some accessibility into your next R project so that visually impaired end users can benefit from your work too. Yeah, that, that's a great summary, Mike. And I'm really intrigued by, you know, the, the thought process, the development of Braille R along with these other um, related packages and different aspects of, of impairments that unfortunately a lot of people have to deal with. And we've also seen renewed effort to recognize, even with just simply going back to Tidy Tuesday for a second, posting the, the plots that the Tidy Tuesday submitters create on, on Twitter, um, putting the alt text there so that everybody can enjoy the fruits of that visual labor in the way that they can consume it. And credit to Thomas Mock when, he, when it was brought to his attention that it was such a large percentage at that time, about almost a year ago, that they were not having alt text. And he quickly put in very succinct and direct documentation on the Tidy Tuesday README about how to do alt text in, in many different ways. But now every time I see somebody actually code up their Tidy Tuesday analysis and they're getting ready to post on Twitch, they have either extensions in their browser or they have other means to say, okay, wait a sec, before posting it, let's put the alt text so that everybody can benefit from the visualization uh, story that they're trying to tell. So. Yeah, really excited to see what develops in this space. Absolutely. And I think that's a very good just first step, right? To include the alt text. That's not a that's you know a thing that should take you an extra five to ten seconds. Um, so you should absolutely make the time to do that on any sort of blog post or publication that you're putting out there that includes visuals. Because otherwise, you know, you might create some some beautiful visual, but the that particular visually impaired community won't be able to won't be able to uh, receive it at all and learn from it. Yeah. I even uh, used that principle earlier today when I was live tweeting one of the presentation grab slides that someone else was presenting at the R Pharma conference. And I quickly screen grabbed it. And before I hit the magical send button, I was like, wait a sec, I can do an alt text and just say a few words about the slide so that others can appreciate it. So yeah, sometimes it takes a while for me to learn, but I'm, I'm trying to learn now. So <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And um, there's always, as always of our weekly, we have a lot more great content in this week's issue. Um, speaking of sound, one of the stories I'm going to read um, when I get more time that came through our, our issue was a way to sympathize temperature measurements and convert it into sound with devices like Arduinos. So I do a little hardware hacking on the side, so I'll, I'll be uh, checking that out. Uh, when I get a spare moment, because I love using sound for all sorts of creative uses, <laughs> if that's not obvious by now. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's very cool. I'm definitely going to have to check that one out as well. Yep. And what, what caught your attention in this issue? One that I liked was actually a, a blog. There were a bunch of good ones, but a blog from our studio, um, kind of in the AI direction on image segmentation with Torch in this particular use case where they build this image segmentation model using you know, Torch, which is fairly new to the R ecosystem. Now that we have that tool in our toolbox as R developers, it's, it's awesome for those doing AI and deep learning. 
But th their use case was to allow you to take a picture of a cat on your Android phone and it will return sort of like a silhouette outline of where the cat is in the picture. So very, very cool. And if nothing else, read the blog to see some of the hilarious cat pictures and cat faces that they used for training data. Um, but for those interested in deploying AI and deep learning models, you, you might want to read how they used what they call JIT or, or just-in-time compiling to remove R as a dependency for scoring observations on the Android phone. I thought that was very interesting how they could train the model in R, but then sort of remove it as a dependency as they move the model towards the edge. And this whole blog reminded me just as a as kind of a funny side note of one of my favorite scenes from another TV show, uh, the HBO series Silicon Valley. Have you ever seen oh. that one, Eric? Oh, yes, I have seen a few of those. Yes. <laughs> okay. Where, well, one of the characters, uh, if I remember right, develops a food classifier and, and he points the phone at a hot dog sitting on a table and the phone, you know, processes for a second, then lights up green and returns hot dog on the screen. And the investors are, are all excited and they're thrilled that, that, you know, they now have this food classifier um, <laughs> app. So one of the investors grabs it and he goes, oh, I can't wait to do the next food. And he, he points it at a piece of pizza. Uh, he points the phone at a piece of pizza and the phone lights up and says, not hot dog. Oh, gosh. Um, so, <laughs> So the, the developer <laughs> celebrates because he thinks that he built this great classifier, um, but it's really just hot dog or not hot dog. And the investors are furious because they thought that it could identify any type of food. So I put a, I put a link to that clip up on YouTube, but it's one that I have actually included in a lot of managerial slides and talks that I give on understanding you know, the differences between different classification algorithms and how, uh, you know, classification and, and machine learning isn't just a silver bullet for, for any use case. So uh, just as some, some side comedic relief. Yes. I, um, yeah, there's no shortage of opportunities to find some humor in the way these could be misused or abused, or frankly, just lead to very perplexing results. Um, it won't solve the world's problems, but we at least have a little fun looking at the mishaps that, that happen along the way for sure. Um, yeah, thanks for adding that. We will have, yep, as Mike mentioned, we have those links as well as the, the highlights we just talked about in the show notes. And as always, we welcome your feedback. We've been getting a lot of uh, nice uh, shout outs from various channels I'm a part of. And certainly if you have ideas for how we can make the show even better, uh, send us a shout out on Twitter. Um, I am at the RCast. And uh, Mike, where, where can they find you? On Twitter, I am Mike underscore Ketchbrook, K-E-T-C-H-B-R-O-O-K. So feel free to give me a shout out. Let me know how, how we're doing on the podcast and, and what you'd like to hear us talk about. Absolutely. Yep. We're always uh, evolving, as I say, um, but always welcome that feedback. And also, if you enjoy our weekly itself as a service, um, it is an entirely volunteer-led effort. And if you would like to join us on actually being a curator for a couple of weeks or a few weeks in the year, yeah, every issue has a direct link to how you can get more information, how you can get lined up to become a curator. And we always welcome, welcome new additions. It's a wonderful team. I've mentioned in previous episodes, I've learned so much from everybody, whether it's their process of curating or just some of the interesting debates that we can have. 
on some of the technical topics that maybe a post brings up and I can learn some new stuff on how people are using those techniques in their, in their day job or their other art projects. So never a shortage of learning opportunities, but it's all good fun. So if you're interested in that, just visit the current issue and you'll see a link to how you can join our weekly in the lead, the leading part of the issue itself. All right. Well, we're going to close up episode 64. Mike, as always, thank you so much for joining me once again. Thank you. Tune into our pharma this week. Yes, yes. Um, never a dull moment. And hopefully I will uh, make it away in one piece after all the shenanigans I'm causing there. So <laughs> you all have a fantastic week and we will be back with another batch of our weekly highlights next week.